Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Esoterica's The Interview. I'm Leah Eichler, and I'm here with our, our Editor-in-Chief, Susan Caddo. And today we have a distinct pleasure of welcoming um, a celebrated and award-winning Canadian author, uh, Joseph Cartes. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for asking me. It's a pleasure. That's great. Um, and I am, just to let you know a little bit more about um, Joe, he was born in Hungary, which he fled with his family to Canada after the revolution of uh, 1956. He's um, based in Toronto and is the author of five novels and two children's books. Uh, Joe received the Stephen Leacock Medal for Humor. He is very funny uh, for his first book, Winter Tulips. His fifth book, Gratitude, won the U.S. National Jewish Book Award for Fiction. And um, he also won the Harborfront Festival Prize in 2017 for contribution to the Canadian literary community. Um, in part, this springs from his work at Humber College, where as Dean of the School of Creative and Performing Arts, he founded the Humber School for Writers, which is internationally acclaimed, and the Comedy Writing and Performance Program, also internationally acclaimed, the only one of its kind, and as well as the Creative Book Publishing Program. And, you know, in, in with those, there are other accomplishments too, but when it comes to writing in Canada, um, Joe is really a preeminent figure uh, who has been an incredibly generous mentor to so many um, people in Canada's literary community, as well as aspiring writers. Um, he's someone who other writers rely on, um, can trust to read their drafts, answer their questions. Um, he's just a, a generally very <laughs> a huge figure in the literary community who is also just a very nice person and an accomplished writer. So I'm so <laughs> happy to talk to you today, Joe. Thank you. I, I wish my children could have heard what you <laughs> it's being recorded so you can send it to them later and they can say hey, hey that's they, call me, they call me an extremely minor celebrity oh that's great okay well you're you're you you loom large here um yeah. i actually have props because I, I joe i've read most of your books um i have um gratitude right here whoops and i have my last impressions and the afterlife of stars i must have given it to someone because i can't seem to find it at my library but um, you know, it's it, it is a joy to have you here, and oh, and I, I won't reiterate what Susan said because I don't think I could even um, I don't think I could do it. I think she just knocked it out of the park. But um, you um, you know the the real essence of your books is is really they're they're comedy, but they're also quite serious, um, and mm -hmm. that's a really fine line to uh, to tread, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, uh, with my latest novel, uh, see, I, I'm inclined to, uh, I have a comic view of the world. I think the world's an absurd place. So I'm inclined to write <laughs> comically um, in a comic voice. Um, I have a comic viewpoint. But the, uh, you know, but some subjects are so serious that they just don't lend themselves to it. So, you know, I've written, um, you know, I, I, what I would call, I, mean, I can't call them tragedies in the in traditional sense because they aren't about great people uh, falling, uh, but they're very dark and very, you know, dramatic in that sense. You mm -hmm. know, there's a, there's a lot of tragedy in the past uh, in my history. So uh, it, it was chasing me all my life and I finally had to uh, grapple with it in fiction. Mm -hmm. So did you feel that, do you feel that a lot of your story ideas then are coming um, from your own life. And Leah had an interesting distinction. We were talking about this beforehand, Leah, if you want to kind of cover that. 
where it's not just it's not just the subject matter. If the subject matter is if you're getting the ideas right. for your books, it's well, not just a question of subject matter. I mean, we all we obviously want to know where you get your ideas from, and and of course, I mean, yeah. uh, Sue Sue captured your bio uh, very succinctly, um, and I you know, and of course, you you've you know you you had a really traumatic and uh, unusual childhood, uh, which we love yeah. to hear about, but. Uh, you know, do, do you draw most of your ideas from your own life? Is that how it works? So, so I mean, I you know, uh, eventually I, I, I came to know myself uh, as a writer, as, as a human being and as a writer. I know I could not have written, you know, Lord of the Rings or, or the Harry Potter books. It's just not something I can do. So I very often begin in real life or at least with real people or people I know. Um, mm -hmm. But it's important to point out, and it always happens with me, especially with my immigrant novel, The Afterlife of Stars. It happens to, with me that it's a, it, it's just a starting point, and then there's a trajectory that forms on its own. Um, I mean, I think the very best example is the afterlife of stars of what I'm talking about. I uh, I knew I had to write an immigrant novel since I had, you know, I was a little kid when we uh, wrenched ourselves from uh, the, of the country of my birth and my parents' birth, um, and and uh, fled the Russians in uh, October of 1956. And I had I had so little to go on because I was only four uh, when we left. And I had so little to go on, but I felt that I really needed to capture what it must have felt like to, you know, to give up your language and your, the ancestors lying in the graveyards and your culture. And, you know, I'm, my family had been in Hungary a long time and had, you know, done well in Hungary. For, I don't know where they came from originally, but uh, so, um, so I, it, it was a subject that I tackled, but what, what was wonderful about that particular novel was that um, I, um, I had, um, so I, I remembered five or six things from my own, um, from, from that moment of, of, of departing uh, Hungary. And uh, I began with those and I, and I planned out, this was the most planned out book I've ever had. The other books have not been that planned out. Gratitude to some extent, but not, not, the, not the same. And I, I, I created 18 study cards that look like this, each mm -hmm. representing, representing a chapter of the novel, The Afterlife of Stars. And uh, so, and so I began with the memories, you know, uh, it's a true story that um, I, um, I was in a preschool program uh, this October day, October 23rd, 1956, to be precise. Uh, and uh, just got there, my grandmother had taken me there in Budapest. And, uh, and 10 minutes later, people started to arrive, parents and grandparents, including my grandmother, to pick me up. And, I, and she said, we have to go. And I said, what's going on? She said, we have to go now, we just have to go. And so we went and we lived not far from a uh, uh, a um, central uh, area, a central street in Budapest called Andrashi Utsa, which is a, a big boulevard where several of the other boulevards intersect. And uh, we had to pass there to get to our place. So um, we went there and there were thousands of people uh, there, unusually, this time of the morning. And they were all getting, they were very uh, quiet, which was the most surprising thing of all. I distinctly remember there was a Russian tank in the center of the of the um, octagon, it's called, where, where, uh, where we were. And uh, I remember the tank with the, the red um, star on its flank and so on. And she, I said, what's going on? She wouldn't tell me, she pulled my arm. And then I stopped and I looked up and I realized there was a, a Hungarian soldier hanging from every single lamppost at, in the mm -hmm. octagon. And I, I, didn't, I still didn't know what was going on, but just above us was a soldier, you know, 15, 20 feet away from me, hanging there and looking straight at me. I still remember the look of him. 
He had auburn hair and green eyes and must have been 18 or so. And I thought that we were communicating. So I looked at him as well and I didn't realize he was dead, you know. So, but, um, so she, she wrenched me away from there and we got to our place and my older brother was home, two and a half years older. He said, we're going, we're getting, the, we're getting the hell out of here and just take what you can carry and we're leaving. And I said, where are we going? He said, we're leaving. Just, I don't know. We're leaving. So, uh, by late that afternoon, almost the evening, we had, you know, each got a little bag. I mean, I was a little kid and my parents and my grandmother, I had only one grandparent left. And, uh, and we went to the train station where there were many thousands of people at this uh, enormous train station. And it was shocking actually to see, uh, but people were um, getting on, on whatever trains they could. There were no tickets left anymore. So you, you had to bribe people with jewelry or whatever to get tickets. And we got on this train and, you know, pressed against the corridors and so on. It was so, uh, it was so crowded. And then the train took off and the train uh, went for a while toward, um, toward the West. And uh, <clears throat> um, it got, it got dark and, and suddenly the, the train stopped and the conductor told everyone to get off. But we weren't in a town or at a station or anything else. And, uh, and so, uh, but my family got off the train and, and we were supposed to run in one direction. So everybody started running across these fields um, when we got off the train. And, uh, and it was very weird because it was dark by then. And, uh, and, my, uh, and what was weird was that the, um, there were bombs going off. And um, my older brother said, what is going on? And nobody would tell him. So uh, he said, I'm not taking another step until someone tells me what, what's going on. And my grandmother said, we're crossing a minefield. So, uh, so people were actually running by the hundreds across the field. Uh, and um, and some were blowing up. So, uh, but we got to the uh, we got to a I'll never forget this. Actually, it was so vivid in my memory. A lamppost, uh, a, a bright lamppost. It was lit, and we got there. And my dad said, "We're in Austria." I said, "So we did all this, this running, and it's all this crap to, to get to this crappy little country with this lamppost, right?" And uh, of course, not understanding the significance of anything. And my and he took his mother's bag, my grandmother's bag from her. And it was so heavy. He started yelling. He said, what's in here? And, and he opened it up and, and it was full of uh, long playing records. So LPs, there were 78s, they were very heavy. And uh, it was all operas. And he said, what are you doing with these things? And he said that, uh, she said that um, she, she doesn't know where we're going. She doesn't know if there's going to be opera there. So she brought her records, some of her records. And he got so upset <laughs> some of the records on at a lamppost. Wow. I can't tell you how traumatized I was by this more than anything else. This was breaking of these records. And so, um, and so we were in Austria uh, and, um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I interviewed everybody to see what we had done after that and tried to create, so I created a kind of fictional world to accommodate uh, this notion of being wrenched from our, our country. And, uh, and as I said, I had these study cards and I planned it all out, but suddenly, and I made my two boys, the protagonist of this novel, older than I, I was, and older than my brother, twice as old as my brother and I were. And so, so they could act, comprehend some of what was going on. And suddenly the two boys uh, took off on their own uh, journey. And I myself almost passing after them and writing down what they were saying and imagining what they were doing. Um, to some extent like this, but never extent, because it's easy they were able 
the whole book. They took me to no, no I went up in Paris. I had never been to Paris at that time, and uh, right. in the under uh, the sewers of Paris and all these kinds of things that that they themselves um, dreamt up. They made their own adventure, and so mm -hmm. um, and every time. Because luckily I had a full-time day job, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write this chapter, but it's going to end up in the garbage. It doesn't matter. Just do it. So I would do it. And um, and amazingly, much of the book survived the way it was. I mean, you know, it was edited, but survived the way it was. And so it was, a, uh, you know, it was um, a book that, you know, you've heard the old adage that it wrote itself. You know, yeah. um, Mark Twain once said, Mark Twain once said that um, I, he didn't, uh, he didn't begin to write the adventures of Huckleberry Finn until it was ready to write itself. And that's right. what happened with me. And it was a, it was a transcendent experience. I was in a, kind of in a trance mm -hmm. and it was great because it was a kind of a holiday from my, uh, my administrative job that I had and all that sort of thing. It was really a great place to go mentally for me. It's, it's, it's that minefield scene really stands out for me in memory from reading The Afterlife of Stars. Uh, I, I'm not surprised to find that that was an experience that you actually remember. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, yeah. it, it is yeah. so um, devastating and in the retelling. And the hanging soldier, I, you know, I, I, I dreamt about him, I don't know, until I was um, 14 or 15, you know, uh, many times, dozens of times, <laughs> he would come up, those up the eyes. Which is why I remember him so vividly. So then, Joe, I have to ask, where's the comedy bubbling up from? I know. <laughs> no, so where's that happy? So well, happy and so comic. Comedy and thing. So, uh, well, it, so um, you know, it's uh, as I said, it, it, there are some subjects that really lend themselves to this. Mm -hmm. You know, Gratitude's a very dark novel about the Holocaust and all that sort of thing. And I had a character in, in Gratitude was very funny and he um you know he reacted to all stress by you know cracking pretty good jokes i thought yeah and uh but my editor my editor uh, at penguin barbara burson said you know what it, it, you can't have that ingratitude it just ruins the tone i said no but that's how some people are you know um, and so mm -hmm. she we removed all those my some of my favorite darlings from that book um <laughs> and uh, cutting room floor but i mean some some books just start out as comedy for me and and I'm so happy when they do because it's uh, it's refreshing. I mean, I should comment on Last Impressions, my latest novel, because it began as pure comedy. Um, my father was it was based, it was inspired by the demise of my demise of my father, unfortunately. But my father was a larger than life character. He was so unselfconscious; it was as if he lived in the world by himself, you know. And so, for example, when he drove, he he was like a ridiculous, idiotic driver, terrible driver, slow, idiotic driver. So he was a reckless, slow driver. And uh, and it was never, you know, no matter what you said to him, he would just do this. So um, I wrote a, I wrote the whole the whole book uh, mostly to make my kids and wife laugh uh, about my dad. They all think these things are hilarious, and um, and it was it was I thought it was pretty funny. But you know, when I finished the novel, or I finished that draft of the novel, completely comic novel, I uh, I felt that I hadn't really done justice to him. And uh, it was hard to explain why he was the way he was. And I, I feel in that novel that um, it was the first time I really realized you can't really get to know anyone entirely, anyone else entirely, even yourself entirely. You can only do kind of a composite sketch of that person. And so uh, I wrote a whole other subplot, which was kind of true or inspired by my own father's life, 
uh, when, when he was sent to a labor camp with his brother. And um, I laid that down uh, intermittently throughout the novel as a subplot mm -hmm. to give him a kind of darkness that he didn't have in the original uh, um, plot, in the original um, novel, the comic novel. And uh, it grew and grew in importance. And, and it, it kind of explained part uh, who he was to some extent. I mean, you could, mm -hmm. you could never explain someone entirely. But um, so it was a mixture of comedy and, uh, and let's call it drama, if not tragedy. Right. Uh, my father lost his only brother in real life, and he, my, my, his only brother was a great heroic figure in his life. He was almost a mythic figure in his life because, you know, he was 21, the brother, and uh, Bela was his name, and uh, and he was hugely accomplished, but then but died. So um, yeah. my dad came back on his own in the labor camp. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that that story, and he never forgave himself for being the one who came back. There was something always awful about that for him. Um, yeah. Never forgave himself. And on my my parents' uh, gravestone, my father's brother's name is carved on it, too. We don't, yeah. I don't know whatever happened. No one found out what happened to him. That's so, fascinating. Anyway, I thought that, I thought that story would, would you know, um, deepen the, the comic character mm -hmm. on the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was an experiment because, you know, you, it, you can't mess with comedy too much because then you it's right. not comedy. It's you know, people don't appreciate it for that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, those finding funny moments in, you know, kind of the depths of the tragedy. I mean, even when you related that story um, about the the opera records, I mean, it's it's funny because it's absurd because you can see it's such a human thing to do to say, well, I, don't, I, I what if there's no opera in this next, this new world right. that we're about to enter? I mean, who, who knows, right? Um, and the things right. we hang on to sometimes are um, are, are sad and and, and uh, ridiculous and uh, hilarious all at the same yeah. time. It's people yeah, trying to make right. the best yeah. of a horrible situation and mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. finding you know the yes it was you know so, it was extraordinary. Even to this day, it's a it's a funny syndrome that in my family, which is that. Um, you know, because uh, my family actually over the two, over World War One, World War Two, sorry, before my time, and the uh, rev revolution lost so much that there's, right. a, you know, there's, there's a, there's a uh, an inclination to uh, to try to recover some of it. I mean, when I when I we took the girls to Hungary for the first time, and we showed them, you know, my great grandfather's because it's a building in Budapest the size of the Eaton Center, you know, or had one, that kind of thing, and he had a number of mm -hmm. them like. That. Uh, and they said, "Why don't we get it back?" You know, there's there's this uh, inclination to try to recover those things, and mm -hmm. um, and you actually can't. <laughs> you can you can try, and you can you get a you know, $128 check after yeah. fighting for four years. Uh, so, uh, Leah, might you might know some of this story too, uh, but um, <laughs> there's, uh, but you know, so there's um, it, so, but it wasn't just. Um, uh, it wasn't just property, obviously, and with the afterlife of stars, I, I, I even tried to, to question myself as to why I went so far and so deep in trying to understand what was going on. You know, we had lost our language, our culture, our history, our um, the whole way of looking at the world that Hungarian Jews especially have, and um, and so on. And so uh, it was, uh, you know, um, it was there was a lot a lot more trauma than I realized until you know many years later. I mean, I thought. Without, I, oh, sorry. 
at Palmerston Avenue Public School in kindergarten, I thought I was the funniest kid on earth. I, there was a show and tell section, and people were laughing and laughing at my stories, and I di didn't realize that I was speaking Hungarian to them. So it was, um, so you know, those things are very, are very, um, they're very important in my own psyche. And so all that came out, all, all that came pouring out in the afterlife of stars. Mm -hmm. I can pretty much see Palmerston from my window, which is very funny. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to ask something I've always wondered about Afterlife of Stars, and I, without giving away the plot, because I think people should go and read it. I mean, did you ever think, I'm going to give these people a really happy ending? And if, if not, why not? <laughs> what, what's going, what's making you decide the endings of, of a book like that? So uh, that was very tricky because um, I was uh, very um, surprised by where the book went and uh, yeah. how it ended up. I was so surprised, uh, and then I kept thinking, "No, I'm 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 backing up and taking it in another direction," without saying, uh, you know, what that is, as you said. Um, but uh, I, I thought, you know, and I can explain it, but I wouldn't give be giving it away. I could yeah. explain why I thought. It had to go where it ended up going, and because I went there unconsciously, I, I trusted the, my instinct more than mm -hmm. I would have if I had tampered with it the way I do as a you know PhD student in English, you know. Yeah. So uh, I, I tried not, not to give it that kind of thematic drive, and and I thought it's there for a reason, and um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like even um, you know the book had an American edition, which is even quite even quite different from the Canadian one, and mm -hmm. um, and I still I had another shot at it. Um, but the, the wonderful Tim O'Brien, the American writer had, who had blurbed it, said, "Don't you dare touch the ending of that book." Mm. I mean, she just so he reassured me that it was great to have him reassure me uh, that it was good the way it was. Yeah, but no, but it, it, it where it went for a reason, um, and I let it let it stand. So I want to backtrack to something you, you alluded to earlier um, when you showed us the cue cards, because I think in terms of the process of writing, you know, there's maybe some viewers out there that want to write a book or everyone thinks they can write a book. Maybe everyone tries to write a book. I don't know. But um, it's the actual um, execution that's you know really hard for most people. And and you said that most of the books are, are not that well um planned out like I guess there's the term um, um, planners versus pantsers I think I came across that one people that write by the seat of their pants and people that plan things so so w which are you and, and why does that work um, so I so I don't know which one will work um, best I mean it's a very individual thing so my pal Terry Fallis uh, um, who is um, uh, do you know him? Do you know who I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, of the, the writer Terry, Terry yeah. Fallis, um, who's an engineer, and, you know, was never a literary scholar or any such thing. But Terry um, does not feel secure writing a book until he has a 40-page outline, single right. space, 40-page outline. But every single event and exchange, dialogue exchange, is written out before he even begins. So, in fact, he's written the whole book before. It, before, so all all of its execution after that. Right, um, and I find I, I find that approach extraordinary because um, I like to write kind of character-driven novels, and I, I and I, I I always know my my book has started to roll along when the characters acquire their own life. 
right and uh, and to determine their own fate so um i don't i don't feel i like like, like to I, I don't feel like, i i feel if i planned that thoroughly it would be um, a confining constricting kind of uh, experience and for me the joy of writing is in the doing of it so and discovering new things that the characters uh, give me or um, deliver to me are, are are the joy of it. I mean, certainly the joy of writing is not in making millions of dollars. The joy of writing is in, in the doing of it. And even if you get published, right. it's okay. I mean, I, I, I have, you know, I, I, I did, I have told many aspiring writers that they, I, I guess to some extent they hate me for saying it, but I, I mean, I've had almost all of the pleasure in, in the writing of my novels in the very writing of them. And not in any other part. And in fact, I would say the part that comes after is, a, is almost a contradiction of that experience. It's kind of mm-hmm. um, it. It's not pleasant, and it's not um, you know. It's uh, publishers try hard. I'm very grateful to them for publishing me. Mm-hmm. But try hard, but ultimately, it's just it's this crass kind of undertaking. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, whatever. No, I, 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 I can't. It's the enjoyment. Are you making yourself laugh when you write sometimes? Especially oh, yeah. well, in a book. So that was so. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I do make myself laugh, that's a that's a, a wonderful thing. But if I make myself mm-hmm. laugh, I then try the comedy on other people. Like, um, like I have a, young, a younger brother who's a great uh, audience, great audience for me, and my daughters, as I said, my wife. Um, and it's great to have a wife who says, um, you know, um, if she reads something, she says, is this meant to be funny? Which is, you know, the dagger in the heart. But um, that would be a dagger in the heart. I mean, it's, it's. Um, uh, so, as I said, I mean, I think, I, I think people are, are are kind of ridiculous. So it's so it's 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 kind of they're easy prey for someone like me, unfortunately. And I'm I'm easy prey. I'm I'm really self-deprecating. So um, I'm ridiculous too. So part of the the, the greatest joy in in doing winter tulips initially which is you know a, a juvenile novel by these standards is that i got i got to um to to make fun of myself it's a great a great thing to make fun of myself or boardwalk is another one you know um right. my my older brother my older brother and i are really different and my younger brother and i are really similar but my older brother and i so whenever i put the two of us in a book um we're really different these, these characters are really different and even if they emerge as other people um they remain quite different and the what what has always what I've always found extraordinary about that is that the two brothers love each other because they're brothers, even if they're mm-hmm. absurdly different, and their values are different. So, you know, blood is certainly thicker than water. You know, mm-hmm. I think yeah, someone's going to write a, a PhD thesis on the theme of brotherhood in uh, Joseph Curtis's novels. <laughs> I was, could see that. I, in fact, all my books have these brothers in them. You're right. You're right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's true. So, so what uh, what comes next? What are you working on right now? Uh, so, well, um, actually, after uh, Last Impressions, um, I, that subplot in the labor camp, I pulled out uh, I pulled out a subplot and created um, a whole other novel uh, based on it, and it's flawed. So it's it's I've shelved it for the time being, and the editor um, Penguin thought that. I needed to do a number of things to it that um, I'm usually quite willing to to do what they're ask, they ask, but in this case, I'm not that willing. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm just sheltered for now, and I'm going to, um, I think I might incorporate, there's a subplot in, in Gratitude 
that um, that I, I made up. There, there's a subplot in Gratitude that came from real life. It's the mm-hmm. most powerful one of the novel. Uh, and I won't tell you tell it because it's going to take, take, take 10 minutes. But there's, there's a subplot in Gratitude that I, I made up almost entirely, like 98, 99%. And it, even when I retell the story um, to people, um, they're very moved by it. And I'm moved by it, even though I, mm-hmm. it's a story that didn't really happen. And uh, so I, I, I might pull that story out of Gratitude. It's a subplot about Marta, who's a dental assistant to someone. And mm-hmm. I might pull that out and find it with the novel I've just written. I think there's a, a beautiful way of marrying those two novels. Mm-hmm. The only problem with this is I don't, I, I'm now heading back into this dark place, you know? I don't know yeah. if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I don't know. If I, I, I would, it's probably better if I just uh, wrote another comedy uh, and, and stayed away from that for a while. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in between. You know, Last Impressions mm-hmm. came out two and a half years Years ago, I, I, I've actually written two other, two whole novel manuscripts since then, both of which are flawed. So we'll yeah, see what maybe, I do. Maybe Thank a you. comedy about um, academia or a, a school for writers would be uh, something I'd yes. love to read. Very different from your previous one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, you, you can dedicate that one to me because that sounds like a sitcom. Actually, it sounds like a sitcom waiting to happen. Yeah. Well, thank yes, you so actually, much uh, for talking to us today. It's it's really exciting to hear um, how you're putting the books together, what's inspiring them, and uh, really we cannot recommend them enough. Um, and please do, um, if you're listening to this and you have not read Joseph Curtis's books, please look them up. Um, he has a website. It is just his name.com. And, um, and yeah, I know... Uh, we feel really lucky to to have you here. So thank you. Yeah, thanks again, Joe, for joining us today. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm 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 was very pleased to do it. So thank you. It's great to talk to you. All right, everyone. Until next week, don't forget sntarkmag.com uh, is our website. Uh, we are still accepting submissions for a short story contest, and we are accepting submissions for our big ideas, which are nonfiction uh, essays. So you can find all the details on Submittable. Speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.